We're going to be in Romans chapter 7 again this morning. We're continuing with an ongoing series that has really not been a verse-by-verse exposition. It hasn't meant to be that. I haven't meant it to be that. I've simply wanted to look at the book of Romans in an overview fashion. We find ourselves in Romans 7. Last week we dealt with the first six verses. Paul is now defending the law. And I want to read this to you again. Romans 1 through 6. And this time I want to tack on Romans 7, 7 as well. So if you'll look there at the beginning of the chapter, I'll be reading from the ESV version. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Thus, a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, She is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit For God, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the spirit. What then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. And I want to end there this morning. Back in Romans 1, we had this come at us. Because Paul had said that grace is so abounding... But it covers sin, even though that sin abounds. He says, what then? Should we continue in sin? He says, by no means. How can we? And he goes on to show that we can't because of our union with Christ. He goes on to say, sin will have no dominion over you. What then? Because, because I'm, well, he says, law will have no, or sin will have no dominion over you. He says, because you're, you're not under law, you're under grace. And he says, what then? Because we're not under law, under grace. Should we sin? And again, he says, by no means. That's what he's been answering. He said we're not under law. He goes on through Romans 6, and he now gets to 7, and he wants to come back and touch on the law, and he wants to tell us something about what he meant by saying we're not under law. He's still dealing with why we can't sin. We can't sin because we're dead to sin. We can't sin because we're dead to the law. We're not under the law. We're dead to it. And he wants to tell us something now about how it is that we are, in fact, dead to the law. 
And that's where we find ourselves. I'm wanting to deal with these first six or seven verses in some detail. I can't really fly across this in the overview fashion that I've done some of the other places simply for this reason. Romans 7 is a chapter that there, there has been a whole lot of discussion about. And if you do not pick up the beginning, if you don't see the case Paul is making in the first part, you won't see how he expounds on that in the later part, what he does in the beginning is simply concisely what he expands upon as he progresses through the chapter. And if we miss that, we will miss the overall intention of the whole chapter itself. So with that said, last week we considered this idea. We're dead to the law. Does anybody doubt that as a Christian that we're dead to the law? Now, you got your Bibles right there. Hopefully they're open to Romans 7. Drop your eyes down there. Look with me, just, just in passing right now. Verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law. You guys see that in black and white. That is a reality. Look again at verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. And is it, that isn't convincing enough. Galatians 2.19, Paul says, I died to the law. So that's one truth that we established last week. Christian, you are dead to sin, yes, but you are also dead to the law. Two phenomenal realities if we really understand the heart of these matters. You are dead to sin. It will not have dominion over you. And you are dead to the law. It will not have dominion over you. We'll look a bit more at that as we develop this. Furthermore, now look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. It's clear from this verse that when Paul talks here about the law, he is, in fact, referring to the Ten Commandments. Do you see that? What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. He distinctly states that the law says, you shall not covet. We know that's what the tenth of the Ten Commandments says. Paul is clearly demonstrating by this remark that when he says the law, he, he wants us to think Ten Commandments. There's some other places in Romans I could go to prove that, but we did that last week. And I like to emphasize this. Why? Because, Christian, you can say this. I am dead to the law. And because by law, Paul is implying Ten Commandments, you can say, I am dead to the Ten Commandments. Christian, can you say that? Do you believe you can say that? Do you believe, based on what Paul says right here, that you have the liberty to say that? I like to put it that way because it has a different ring to it. And sometimes even an uncomfortable ring in some people's ears. 
I am dead to the Ten Commandments. Do you believe that? Now see, in some of your minds there might be reservation right now. Because you're thinking, well that depends on how you define being dead to the Ten Commandments. You better define, you better, I realize that God's Word right here says, as a Christian I'm dead to the law. And I realize that by the law, Paul was implying the Ten Commandments. But until you explain yourself, I'm not so ready to dive in the deep end with this whole truth. Because I'm not exactly certain maybe what Paul means by it. Or I'm not exactly certain whether you're certain you know what Paul means by it. So maybe there's some hesitancy. Because people, people get a little ruffled when you... Especially in a lot of Reformed circles. You start talking about the law like this and you got people nervous. So, okay. After last week's sermon... I spoke with Papa about my message from last week. And he told me he had not heard the commandments of God smashed like that since Moses threw down the two tablets at the foot of Sinai. <laughs> and my, my comment to him and to a couple others about this whole matter is this. Don't hear what I say. Hear what Paul says. Hear what the Bible says. If I have warrant to say it because Paul says it, if I have warrant to say it because God says it through Paul, then we have to retrain our ears to think about the law in a biblical fashion. Not the way we've been taught in some Reformed circle or the way we were brought up. Hey, I was brought up in a nominal Catholic family. I know how the Ten Commandments were talked about there. In a way that I have to throw out right now. In a way I'm dead to now. My aim is simply to speak about the Ten Commandments with the same intensity and emphasis that the Bible does. This I know. However Paul speaks about the law is how I want to speak about it. However he talked about it. However he talked about it. One thing is for certain. It led to him having to say what he says in verse 7. Again, look at verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? Now listen to me. Paul spoke so strongly about the law that it led to some questioning. Well, what then, Paul? Is it bad? Is the law sin? Is it damaging? Dangerous? Is it substandard? Is it wrong? Is it evil? Is it detrimental? Ladies and gentlemen, whatever else may be true, we can see that this is true. Paul produced this question in some people's minds about the law because... And only because he spoke about the law in such a way as to produce this response. You understand that? You don't get people asking the question, what then is the law of sin? Unless I say some things that are pretty strong about the law to lead them to ask such a question. You don't ask it, folks, unless people are talking about the law in a way that seems to be 
relegating the law to some level or to some degree, to some place that in the minds of some seems like it's being dismissed or lowered or even so much as seeming to be bad or sin. So, if we're going to be biblical about our view of the law, we should be saying things about the law that will, in some people's minds, lead them to ask the same question. Is it not? You cannot talk right about justification unless you are speaking about it in such terms that lead people to ask the question, what then? Do we continue in sin that grace may abound? You have not proclaimed justification right unless you lead people to ask that question. And you have not talked about the law correctly unless you lead people to ask that question. I'm saying, folks, we're not biblical about the way we talk about things unless we lead in people's minds to stir up the same kind of questions that Paul stirred people up to ask. You are not sufficiently speaking strongly enough about the law if and unless people are asking the very same things. So, has anybody asked you lately, what then? Are you saying the law is bad? We should be speaking about it in such terms that would lead to that. Now, what was it Paul was saying about the law that led people to believe this? Let me give you a rundown. You don't have to turn there. Just, just listen to me because I'm going to shoot through these verses fast. Romans 2.12 All who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So it's a standard of judgment. By it, men will be condemned. Now, if you're a man or a woman... A son of Adam? That might not seem too good. Romans 3.20 By works of the law, no human being will be justified. There is nothing about the law that helps men get right with God. It does not justify, and to be justified is to be right with God. Romans 3.21 The righteousness of God has been manifested Apart from the law, what God requires of man, the law cannot provide. Romans 4.13 For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law. So God's promises are not fulfilled. God's promises for good are not fulfilled through the law. Romans 4.15 For the law brings wrath. That doesn't sound good. Romans 5.20 The law came in to increase the trespass. The law increases our knowledge, our rebellion, our responsibility, and ultimately it increases our guilt. Romans 7.5 Our sinful passions are aroused by the law. The commandments stir up and stimulate sin in us. Clearly it says that. Romans 7.5 Romans 7, 6. The law held us captive. The law is a prisoner maker. Lay that down. Romans 7, 10. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. The commandment is death. Romans 8, 3. God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. The law is weak. It has inability 1 Corinthians 15.56 The power 
of sin is the law. The law empowers our rebellion. 2 Corinthians 3.6 The letter kills. The Ten Commandments kill you. 2 Corinthians 3.7 It's called the ministry of death. Carved in letters on stone. Those commandments on those two tablets are a ministry of death. 2 Corinthians 3.9 The ministry of condemnation. Galatians 3.12 But the law is not of faith. Faith pleases God. The law doesn't produce it. And it was never meant to. Listen. What does the law do? The law curses. The law condemns. It doesn't get us right with God. It doesn't justify. It doesn't bring God's promises of good. It brings wrath. Increases our guilt. Stirs up sin. Holds men captive. Proves to be death. Unable to bring righteousness. It's the power of sin. It kills. It's a ministry of death and condemnation. It's not a faith. That sounds pretty bad, brethren. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? You get an idea of why people in the end might ask this of Paul. Do you not? I mean, boy, he said a lot of things here. Paul's answer to all this. Is it sin? By no means. It may sound like, and in fact is true, that Paul is saying that the law has massive limitations, yes. But he is not saying that it is sin. On the contrary, it is, as he says in Romans 7.12, holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And in verse 14, he says we know that the law is spiritual. The Creator of this universe has revealed His will. And we call that law. His moral demands upon mankind are righteous. They are just. They are good. They are spiritual. That's what we read right here in this Word. The law can't be ignored. His moral demands upon mankind are righteous as He is righteous. It can't be set aside. The law is God's law. That's the issue. He doesn't change. It can't change. Jesus Christ said this, It is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. It is God that declares His law. He can't go back on that. Otherwise, He would be denying Himself. The law is an expression of the very character of God. It is holy because God is holy. It is righteous because God is righteous. It is good because God is good. It is not something apart from God. It is God Himself revealing and manifesting His own character. When it is not done, there is real guilt, there is real condemnation, and real punishment. Yes, it sounds bad. For us sinners, to those of us who have broken it, and yes, it offers us no help, but only condemnation. But you remember this always, folks. The law is good. The problem is not that it is bad. The problem is we are bad. The problem is that we are under sin, not that the law is sin. Remember, it is we who die when we are delivered from under the sin. It is never the law that dies. We die. It is very much alive. 
And to some of you, it is very much alive because you are yet married to it. You are yet under it. And it is death. It kills. And it will kill you if you remain under it. Why? Because you shattered it. You've broken it again and again and again. Remember this, folks. We die. We die. And all of our Bibles teach us about it. This law and how God has provided a Savior to those who have broken it. Folks, there is this whole massive assumption in Scripture of law. Right? I mean, you can't talk Savior unless you talk law. Why? Because the Savior came to save His people from sin. What is sin? How does John define sin in 1 John chapter 3? Sin is lawlessness. Yes. Folks, if you have no law, you have no law breaking. If you have no law breaking, you have no guilt. If you have no guilt, you have no condemnation. If you have no condemnation, what? You have no need of a Savior. You have no need of our incarnation. You see, the whole massive assumption of this book, folks, is that there is law. You can't talk about propitiation. You can't talk about condemnation. You can't talk about justification. You can't talk about atonement. You can't talk about a Savior. You can't talk about guilt. You can't talk about sin. You can't talk about law-breaking or law-keeping unless, of course, there is law. The whole idea of the New Testament and what's provided for all has to do with this idea that there is law. There is law. And that just brings me to this. I want to lay very quickly three things before you about the law. Okay, we're dead to it. We're dead to it. It says that we died to it so that we might be joined to another. To Christ. Joined or belong or married. Depending on it. The idea is we used to be married to the law. Just like the example we find in the first three verses of the chapter. We used to be married to the law and now we're married to Jesus Christ. How is it that the law is defective? And how does the law relate to my life now? If I say I'm dead to the Ten Commandments, do I mean by that I never read it? I tear it out of my Bible? I do away with with every reference to it? I cross it out where I see it? Is that what it means? What we need to get clear in our minds is as New Testament Christians, what does being dead to the law mean? And I have a feeling that among many Reformed people, it means more than what they know. To some, it means less. But I want to be biblical. I don't simply want to set forth my opinions in this. I want you to see from God's Word. The first thing is, and I think this is clear to everybody. You guys know this. I say it because it needs to be said because it's the very heart of the Gospel. I have three truths here. The first truth, the law is unable to help me get right with God. I've already said it. It needs to be said. The law is righteous. It expresses the righteous character of God. The law tells me what is 
right. It demands that I do what it says is right. But the law makes absolutely no provision for getting me back to right once I swerve away from what is right. You guys understand that? It can't help me correct the problem that is created when once the standard of right is deviated from. The law says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Did you hear what that said? All things. If you fail to do one thing that the book of the law says, the law curses you. It demands your death. The law says do right, and if you don't abide doing right in all things, that's it. So the law can't make me right with God once I stray from what is right. It can only curse me. And the universal problem with all of mankind is that none is righteous. No, not what? In other words, none do right. That means that people are not doing what the law says to do. So all it can ever do for mankind is condemn them. It's all it can do. That's why the Bible over and over and over again says, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. We hold that one is justified apart from works of the law. You cannot be justified by the law of Moses. Acts 13.30 Galatians 2.16 We know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Galatians 3.11 It is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. Now I'll tell you this. You guys here have been exposed to this truth a lot because we've gone through Romans 3, Romans 4, Romans 5. And we keep coming back to this, even in Romans 6, now in Romans 7, we keep coming back to the idea of justification and it can't happen through the law. And we look at that now and we've heard it so much, it's so much an ingrained fact. But I'll tell you what, this city out here is filled with people who don't even have this concept of truth. I know what it's like to come up, be raised up in a nominal Catholic family. I can remember one time when I was young, I can remember vividly, my mother was ironing in my bedroom. And all of a sudden I had some concern about my soul. I don't remember what the factors were. And I said, Mom, how can I be sure I'm going to heaven? And she said, keep the Ten Commandments. So we had a big family Bible, you know, one of those old monstrous things. I went in and I found the Ten Commandments. And I read through Exodus 20. And I knew right away I hadn't kept them all. But I thought, well, I just need to strive. Because my concept, as well as my mother's concept, as well as Roman Catholicism as a whole, is that you make the best attempt possible and you seek to do good and you work and you work and you work and you work. And you know, Hinduism isn't a whole lot different. Buddhism isn't a whole lot different. Islam isn't a whole lot different. But Folks, basically mankind has a mindset by nature of seeking to find God's approval by something that He does. We know this. But this is a reality. The people that you need to be taking the truth to out there, they don't think like you do. We need to go here all the time. You cannot be saved by the law. They, don't, they have ideas about morality. They have ideas about these little lists of do's and don'ts. 
But that basically, folks, those are works of the law. No man, no woman, no child will ever find acceptance with God. And I'll tell you this. You break that law just one time. It demands your head. That's why you can never be justified by it. Because if you break it at one point, you shatter the whole thing. You bring it down. Your own conscience tells you that you have not kept it. All the law can do is pronounce us unjust, demand our death as payment for violation of it. And it's eternal death, folks. It's eternal. How lightly people imagine their law-breaking to be. They think it's some small thing. I guarantee you would not think it's such a small thing if you were able to even, I'm not even say stand in their shoes, just hear the scream of one of the damned in hell. Just to hear them cry out. Not to taste what they taste. Just to hear them for a second would make you realize the depths of sin are infinitely beyond what you have ever imagined it to be. To break God's glorious and holy law. It is a fearful thing to disobey the law of God even in what we might think is just a very small and minuscule way. It is terrifying. And I'll tell you this, if you could stand at the very side of Jesus Christ and hear Him as He hung upon that cross and the billows of wrath poured over Him, you would not think your law-breaking is a small matter. At all. So the first truth. The law fails right here. Nobody has ever been saved by law keeping. No one. You cannot be saved. Because all have sinned. All have fallen short of that glory. And because all have sinned, the law condemns all. And it can do nothing else. Second truth. Law keeping will characterize the life of the Christian. Although I cannot become a Christian by keeping... Now, hear me. You need to hear this. Because this is not believed by many in our day. And it is clearly biblical. Although I cannot become a Christian by keeping the law, I can only become a Christian by trusting Jesus Christ who did keep the law and having His perfect obedience imparted to me to robe me with His righteousness, the righteousness of God, which is for those who believe in Jesus Christ. Even though I cannot be made right with God by law keeping, I have in fact been justified and been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Law keeping becomes the very characteristic of my life. Did you guys all get that? Now, I want you to be clear on this. God's goal in my becoming a Christian is to make me a law keeper. I was a law breaker before. God saves me. God makes me into a law keeper. When Jesus Christ came into this world and they called Him Jesus because He would save His people from their sin, He not only saves them from the condemnation of it, He saves them from that sin. He turns them from that sin into a path of righteousness. 
you need some scripture, if your life is not characterized by a massive, drastic, extreme new perspective on the commandments of God, you definitely have not been saved. You can come up with me afterwards and you can argue with me till you're blue in the face. But there is such an overwhelming abundance of Scripture to support this that you, you, can't, you have no argument. You, your words cannot affect my mind given the amount of Scripture that we have in God's Word. Listen, I've already mentioned this text, but I'll mention it again. 1 John 3, 4. Sin is what? Lawlessness. What did, what did the Apostle say in Romans 6? Sin will have no dominion over you. What is sin? Lawlessness. If sin will not have dominion over you, lawlessness will not have dominion over you. Is that, is that a, a proper way to approach Scripture? Yes. Lawlessness will not dominate the life of the true believer. It can't. Romans 3.31 Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. God saves us not to be lawbreakers, but to be law upholders. To fulfill the very essence of the law in our lives as Christians. The law is sometimes referred to, as we saw, as commandments. Well, listen to this. Matthew 7.21 Jesus Christ not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But who? Those who do are the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What is the will of the Father? What is an expression of the will of God? His commandments. His law. What Jesus Christ is saying is, there's a lot of people out there saying, Lord, Lord. There's a lot of people out there who are religious. There's a lot of people who people claim are Christians or they claim that they themselves are Christians. And yet, they are constant lawbreakers. Jesus Christ says that constant lawbreaker, the one who does not do the will of the Father in heaven, is not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Only the one who does the will of my Father. The law of God is an expression of the will of God. The primary characteristic of the one who will enter heaven is to be a doer of the will of God. A doer of His commandments. A doer of the law. God says in Revelation 21.5, Behold, I am making all things new. Do you know God's purpose is to recreate in the end of all this, there's going to be a new heaven, there's going to be a new earth, and there are going to be new inhabitants. They have been born anew, regenerated, recreated in Christ. All things become new. Right? Is that not what Scripture says? You have become a new creature or a new creation if you are in Jesus Christ. What God is doing is He's erasing eradicating all the effects of Satan, all the effects of sin, all the effects of this world from the entire universe, from mankind. 
That is, He is going to create such a pristine heaven and earth that every effect of that will be gone. And Christian, right now, you are moving in the direction of that conformity to that ultimate standard. You are being conformed to the image of Christ. You once were a slave to sin, but now you have been released from that slavery. You have become obedient to God. And that obedience, remember, right at the beginning of Romans, at the end of Romans, it talks about the obedience of faith. Folks, that is the very aim of the Gospel. To produce the obedience of faith. Obedience to what? Obedience to the will of God. What is the will of God? It's expressed in the commandments of God. The law. You see, folks, you were lawless. The only real indicator that anybody has ever been saved is that they are now one who is seeking to fulfill the law. So, as much as we're not under it in the sense of justification, we definitely are those who are striving to reach its ultimate goal. Christ's likeness. What was Christ like? Christ kept the law to perfection. He never broke it once. He was born of a woman, born of a virgin, under the law, folks. And He kept it perfectly to redeem those who were under the law who didn't keep it. But now that He has saved us, He works in us to cause us to keep it. Jeremiah 31.33 It's the very essence of the New Covenant. I will put My law within them and I will write it on their hearts. Ezekiel 36.27 Another expression of the New Covenant And I will cause you to walk in My statutes and be careful to obey My rules. Here's what I'm faced with. You come to Me, you tell Me about one of your family members or one of your friends who you say was a Christian. But you put a disclaimer in there. But they didn't really live for God. What you mean by that is they lived in rebellion to His commandments. You're telling me they're a Christian, but at the same time, you're also telling me they don't keep the law. Or people say that about themselves. I'm a Christian. I'm just not really given to keeping God's law. I know I'm backslidden. I know I go off and do this. I'm carnal. I'm living outside of the will of God. Folks, what do you do with this? I will cause you to walk in My statutes and be careful to obey My rules. And if you're not doing that, folks, Jesus Christ said, it's not everybody that says, Lord, Lord. It's not everybody that's religious. And it's not everybody that calls themselves a Christian. It's those who do the will of my Father in heaven. I mean, folks, you cannot steer away from this. The fact is, the description of the saints given to us in Revelation 14.12 is those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. 1 John 2, 3, and 4. By this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says I know Him but does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in me. So if you come to me and tell me that you are, you know the truth, you're in the truth, you're a Christian, but you don't keep His commandments, what's the conclusion? You're a liar. The truth isn't in you. You tell me that about somebody else. The conclusion is, maybe not so much you're a liar, but they're a liar. You see that, folks? Jesus Christ radically changes sinners into those who now love the law. In 1 John it says the commandments are not burdensome. The Spirit of God writes them on my heart. And if all this has not happened, then I have, I have no Christianity. 
I mean, I say that with a certainty, folks. Absolute certainty. This is not even questionable in the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 7.19 Circumcision counts for nothing. Or, neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. But what's important? Keeping the commandments of God. John 14.15 If you love me, you will keep my commandments. 1 John 5.3 This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. Matthew 12.48 Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Am I not clearly as a Christian told to love in the Scriptures? But you go to Romans 13, 8 through 10. What is love? Love is the fulfilling of the law, folks. Jesus Christ gave me the commandment to love Him Love God, love my wife, love the brethren, love my neighbor, love my enemy. Love is the fulfillment of the law. So folks, if I'm commanded to love, I'm commanded to do everything that is involved in the law. I mean, do you see that? Can a man get to heaven without love? Can a, what is the very essence of love? It is a fruit of the Spirit. It's the very fruit at the heart of what makes us separate and distinct from the rest of the world. That separation and distinctness is called holiness. Without holiness, no man will see the Lord, folks. You don't have it. If you're not separate, if you're not distinct from the rest of the world with a law-keeping, it's not burdensome, a spirit-written compulsion upon the heart then you've never truly been converted. And I don't say this to condemn you. I say this because if it's not true in your life, then you need to seek the one who can correct this matter and make it true in your life. Not to discourage you and have you go off with your head hanging, but to have you look upward and look to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, third truth. And this is the one that I want you to think about. Because I don't think most of you in this room have, some of you might, but I don't think most of you in this room have a problem with the fact that the law is not sufficient to justify us. And I don't think you have a problem with saying, yes, we're saved and God is going to work in, He's going to write that law in our heart. He's going to constrain us to keep it. It's not going to be burdensome. And if I don't do the will of God, I'm giving an indication I'm not on my way to the kingdom of heaven. You guys would not probably disagree with that. A lot of people out there would. Maybe some of you here but now this is the one where people sometimes have a little more difficulty, especially in Reformed circles. You need to listen to me carefully. This is the truth I believe we need to emphasize today more than any others. Yes, we Christians need to be law-fulfilling people. But we don't become that by looking to the law. Let me show you what I mean. Romans 7, 4. Drop your eyes down there in your Bible. I want you to read this with me. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law. Now, we have a number of prepositional phrases here. But I want you to clear some of them out of the way and join this all the way to the last phrase here. 
Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law. Why? If you move all the way to the last phrase, in order that we may bear fruit for God. You have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. A lot of descriptive phrases there. In order that we may bear fruit for God. Now listen to this. What is the essence of fulfilling the law? It's love. What is the very essence of the spiritual fruit that God puts in our life? It starts with love. Does it not? Bear fruit for God. What would that look like? What would bearing fruit for God look like? Would it look like a loving life? Would it look like a joyful life? Would it look like a life with peace and humility and meekness? Bearing fruit for God. Would it look like somebody who kept the will of God? Would you say that bearing fruit for God is another way of saying somebody who's doing the will of God? Yeah, we would say that. What is the path to bearing fruit for God? Dying to the law. I die to the law in order that I may bear fruit. It's almost like we could say, I die to the law in order to be a law keeper. Now, is that confusing? But, but clearly, that's the idea here. Being a fruit bearer is what sanctification is all about. We must die to the law, in fact, to be sanctified. This is the truth. The law cannot justify you, but the law can neither sanctify you. It cannot make you more holy. Why? Because it doesn't have the power to do it. It can't. You see it again in Romans 7, 6. Now we are released from the law. Again, look in your Bibles with me. We are released from the law. What do you mean, Paul, released? Having died to that which held us captive. Why? Why am I released from the law having died to that which held us captive? So that we serve, not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. You know what? I have to die to that which held me captive. What is that clearly here? It's the law. I die to the law so that I may serve in the new life of the Spirit. And what is serving in the new life of the Spirit? Again, the Spirit produces all these fruits in my life. The chief one of which is love. And the very fulfilling of the law is what love is all about. Folks, I don't, this isn't artificial. I'm not dreaming this up. You see this here. You've got to die to that which held you captive in order to be sanctified. In order to, the aim in our life, the thing that is important is faith working through love. Listen to this. 1 Timothy 1. You don't have to turn there, but listen very carefully to me. Paul says this concerning the law. He says first, the aim of our charge. The aim. He means the goal. The mark that I'm shooting for is love. 
Okay. Paul, the very essence of our sanctification is to pursue love. He's saying the aim is love. Where does it come from? He does not say it comes from the law. He says it issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Do you want to love? Do you want to be a law keeper? You don't find it in immersing yourself in law. You find it by the purification of the heart, the purifying of the conscience, the establishing and nurturing of faith. Listen to this. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. So there's a lawful way to use it and an unlawful way. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless, disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners. Now, I'm telling you, folks, this is not, not a description of the Christian. Is a Christian called ungodly, unholy, profane, and sinners? No! But it says that's what the law is for. The law is for them. You don't produce love by the law. You produce love out of faith. Remember what it says in Galatians 5, 6? Faith working through love. Now what does all that say to us? What do we do with this? Where do we go? The way to pursue love is by focusing on the transformed heart in conscience, awakening, strengthening faith. Love is not pursued first and decisively and foremost by focusing on a list of behavioral commandments and striving to conform to them. That is what I must die to. So how am I sanctified? The Scriptures tell us that Jesus Christ is our sanctification. Very plainly, 1 Corinthians 1.30. The fruit of righteousness. In Philippians 1.11, it does not say it comes from the law. It comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. We don't abide in the law for fruit. Jesus said, abide in me. And I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. When we are to live as God wants us to live, He doesn't say that we should put on the law. He says put on Jesus Christ. Now, guys, sanctification is by the Spirit. Second Thessalonians 2.13 Sanctification by the Spirit. You see it plainly in the Word. The Spirit of God came into the world. Jesus Christ, you remember that whole discourse that He gave as in, the, in John 14, 15, 16, 17, as He's getting ready to depart and He's telling His disciples about the coming of the Spirit. And He tells them, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. John 16, 14, He will glorify Me. This is what we need to understand. Do we tear the, the law out of, our, out of our Bibles? 
Well, listen, the law is part of the Word. There's another place where we hear Christ say, sanctify them by truth. Your Word is truth. So is it not part? Yes, it is. But here's the whole issue. The Spirit of God came into this world to make much of Jesus Christ. And we know, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord creates in us, degree by degree, the image of the Lord on us, in us, as we behold the Lord. Not as we behold the law, as we behold the Lord. The Spirit of God will sanctify us and create greater and greater expressions of law-keeping as we saturate and satiate ourselves with Christ. When you move from Christ to the law, the Spirit is not going to operate. Now, when that law is in the Word, which Word expresses truth about Christ, Jesus Christ Himself said He expounded to those two on the road to Emmaus from the law and the prophets concerning Himself. When we go to law and we draw out of it Christ and set it before people, then we're seeing Christ. And it's in seeing Christ, the Spirit of God transforms us degree by degree into His image, which that image is one of perfect law-keeping. We're transformed more and more in that direction. Folks, this is the vital truth that we have to hold on to. Sanctification does not come by the Spirit. This, or sanctification does come by the Spirit. Sanctification does not come by the law. Do we throw it out? No, we don't throw it out because it's part of God's holy Word. But in all the Scriptures, you've got to see Christ. And if you ever go to the commandments where there's just a list of laws, a list of rules, a list of regulations, it will not help you. It cannot help you. Those people who would forever and always be studying the Ten Commandments, and you rarely, if ever, hear Christ spoken about in the midst of it all, all that will do is what it says in Romans 7.5. It stirs up the flesh. It is not the way to sanctification. What do we do? We behold Christ. It is, we behold His Word. Immerse yourself in that Word. And in that Word, see Christ. And as you do, it's like Moses beholding God. You, he starts to take the shine. He had to veil it. You stand in the presence of Christ and it begins to mold you and conform you by the very power of the Spirit. The law itself has no power to do this. Only the Spirit does. And the Spirit is determined in your sanctification to make Christ the main aspect of that sanctification. The central focus. Where your eyes are. Where your gaze lands. On the Lord. Not on the commandments. And so... What happens? Oh, beloved, we are married. We belong now to Jesus Christ. We're His. Don't go back to living under the law. Don't go back to the old husband. Don't revert back. Don't let yourself fall back to the way you used to be. You're married to Jesus Christ. No longer married to the law. You belong to another. To Him who was raised from the dead. Don't go back there. 
The law is not your husband. The risen Christ is. The Ten Commandments are no longer married to you. You are dead to that. Christ has taken your hand in marriage. He has freed you. And what is the essence of freedom? It's doing what I want to do. Because Jesus Christ, by His Spirit, has written on and engraved into my very being this will to now do what is right. That is why it's freedom. The Spirit brings freedom. Because before I was, I was pressed upon by these things from outside that I didn't want to do. But now there's freedom on the inside. Springs forth into a desire to do exactly what God wants me to do. And I'll tell you this, you will not find that desire inside you fanned into red hot flame to love God and to give yourself for your neighbor by staring perpetually at the Ten Commandments. You find that heart being ravished by Christ and beholding Him will be that which fuels the fires of sanctification in your life. You want to become more like Christ. You want to become more holy. You want to become more godly. You want to become more aggressive in chasing and pursuing this perfect righteousness of Christ. You will find it will increase as your desire for it increases. And you will find that that desire is fanned by the flames and the heat and the fire and the passion of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will do that and work that where you are consumed with Christ. You believe all that? Folks, it is truth. It is truth. We need to saturate ourselves with Him. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.